Welcome to this very special episode of the Ability Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Holt. In this episode, I thought it would be fun to do something different. So today, I thought I'd bring on a panel and we would discuss a movie from the disability perspective and just talk about it and see where that leads us. So in this episode, I have joining me Tony Jacobson. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? And Destiny Dyer. Hi. As we get started here, I thought we could talk about the movie spoiler-free, so if you haven't gotten a chance to see it yet, you could. Does anybody want to open up with any thoughts about it? Well, I guess I should start by introducing the movie. <laughs> the movie we're talking about <laughs> is The Fundamentals of Caring. It is directed by Rob Burnett. It is his only major film that I know of that he's done. It's based on a novel called The Revised Fundamentals of Caring by Jonathan Evison. And it's starring Paul Rudd, Craig Roberts, and Selena Gomez. And overall, the movie is about Paul Rudd's character and Craig Roberts' character going on a road trip. And Craig Roberts' character has uh, muscular dystrophy. They go on this road trip to have fun and figure it out together and go on an adventure. Does that sound like a pretty good summary of the movie? Did I miss anything? That's definitely (laughs) (laughs) spoiler-free. No, I had one question. Was I supposed to read the book? Because I did not read the book. No, I didn't read the book. Did anybody read the book? (laughs) I didn't read the book, no. Okay, just making sure. Okay. I'm sure it was better than the movie. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) No, I have... (laughs) I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. No, I haven't read the book either. You know, like, I just knew that it was based off a book. I've read the Wikipedia page. Which might be better than both the book and the movie. (laughs) I saw the movie just last night. I took pretty in-depth notes. I thoroughly enjoy it. I have problems with it, definitely. It has major holes in it for me. But I overall enjoy it. I feel like the movie sometimes is starring me because the main character does stuff that I do, you know, make terrible jokes and things. But overall, I enjoy it. Yeah, I love the movie. I really think it shows both aspects of living with a disability. At times it's great, and other times it's not so much. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was uh, definite. I, I enjoyed the movie, first of all. Just all the jokes aside about the book and everything. I really enjoyed the movie. Tears, cheers, and, and laughs, and cries, and all that. So I, I really think it was well done. I, I think it definitely has shows a lot of sides. There's so many facets to this movie. So I watched it again yesterday. I had seen it a couple of years ago. When it first came out, when I saw it again, there was just so much more to it this time. And I think it's good for people to watch through it a couple times even because it is layered. There's a lot of layers to it. Yeah, absolutely. I got stuff character motivation wise that I didn't get the first time I watched it. Like, oh, this is why Ben is trying to get away. This is his motivation here. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I felt. And it's funny because even watching it this time through, I almost felt it it had nothing to do about disability, which is strange, maybe. But I felt that way. I was like, you know, this is way beyond the message that it's trying to send is way beyond the disability aspect of it. I think the disability is almost just a character in the movie, Um, not just from the boy himself, but just the fact of him being disabled is almost a character in the movie, and it drives some of the motivations of the other characters. Does that make sense? Yeah, I I really like that it didn't have everything to do with the movie, you know, and then there's the other side of it where it, it kind of, at first, shows you what the world views 
as having new disability. You know, we sit at home, we do nothing, and we just watch TV all the time. Um, when that's not the truth. And, you know, I like how near the middle of the movie, it kind of broadens his world. Sitting at home eating waffles and sausage. Right. You know, that's not really what we really do every day, all day. Wait a minute. I do that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Me too. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Me too. Like, you like I'm like, wait a minute. I thought that was very accurate. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's the story, you know, it's a movie, so it has to go through the arc of the story, which is great, because it starts one way, and it shows you this reality that, that he lives in, and really, everyone's boundaries get pushed in the movie. And I think that's what was very important about it, both for people that might, may have a disability, and people that don't. I think it really pushes, all of the characters were pushed, and I think that pushes the viewer to then view things differently for themselves. Are we ready to go on in spoiler territory? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Spoilers are coming up. Here's your spoiler warning now. If you haven't seen the movie, come back later. It's a great movie. Go watch it. We'll be here waiting for you. Your spoiler warning is now. We open with credits. Credits of production companies and whatnots inserted with a child laughing. It's intercut. There's a voice that describes caregiving. We get aloha. Ask, listen, observe, help, ask again. And then we learn that Ben has become a certified caregiver. I have a thought about that because I thought that was a great way to start the movie. You know, with the exposition of that meeting, of what aloha meant. I think it was a great setup to the just kind of basic thoughts that people have about caregiving and about just caring for somebody. So I felt, again, it was a great kind of foundation to set up the viewer with, okay, this is the kind of basic thought, and now we're going to push past this, which it does. Yeah, you know, I thought that opening credit was at first a little confusing for me because I hadn't seen the movie before um, the other night. And so at first I thought the little boy laughing was actually, you know, the kid that we see later on in the movie. And then it kind of warps into, oh, wait, that's not him. That's the caregiver's son. Not only that, he's not laughing, which I find kind of a weakness. That's kind of weird. That It turns out that, no, he's that's actually after the accident. At least that's what they imply, which is kind of strange. They try to change that on you. Right, and so it, it was, you know, you had to sit and think about these things. I think this movie kind of makes you think outside of the box as you're watching it, and I like that as a part of a disability movie. I don't like, here's a person, and they die. I like the movies that make you think about that character, and think about, you know, the other ones around that character. Yeah, this movie definitely did that. Here's a kid with a disability, but it's not about that necessarily. It is, and there's a lot to deal with, but it goes beyond that. Then we get the next scene where we see the main character, where we see Paul Rudd's character knocking on the door. Mom answers. Turns out that they just moved to the United States a few months ago. That's how we get our obligatory British mom. We learn that Trevor likes to stay at home. He's not really gone anywhere much other than the plane ride here to the United States. Trevor would be Ben's first client. Mom really did want somebody with experience, and then Trevor enters. What was the first thing you thought when you saw Trevor enter the room? 
Oh, I totally knew that was a joke because, honestly, I've done it to caregivers before, you know. It's his way of dealing with his disability and maybe not enjoying having a caregiver. Sometimes it's, it's hard to admit you need people's help. Sometimes you don't want new caregivers. And so why not play a little joke on them? Yeah, I thought that was funny. I thought it was great that he was coming out the gate with that attitude of his. Because then when, when Paul Rudd's character, you know, counters it with his own attitude, you know, when he finally talks about the, uh, you know, what, what are you going to do when you wipe my ass thing? That really... Um, In the way that it wouldn't leave any on your ass. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line, by the way. And it was so great to see Paul Rudd, like, just counter that attitude with his attitude and say, hey, okay, you want to go at it? Let's go at it. And then immediately he's like, yeah, he's the one. Because he saw, he's like, oh, yeah, this guy is going to be able to handle me. I thought it was kind of fun that at first Paul Rudd's character thought it was his aftershave. <laughs> that, was, that was funny. Because what's in aftershave to cause that kind of convulsion? So then we move to the next scene where we learn that Ben so far has not signed the divorce papers for his wife. It's been two and a half years, and Ben says he isn't ready. It's pretty quick, and it kind of just moves on. It's obvious that that's not the point of the movie, and they're just trying to move on from this. At least it was to me. Yeah, definitely. I felt that that was just a, you know, a hook into the into his story of, you know, what happened with his son. You know, I kind of, in retrospect, wish they would have maybe left that scene out, maybe just made it about his son and him, because then, you know, they never got into the story of what prompted the divorce. We don't even particularly know why Paul Rudd says he's not ready. He just says, I'm not ready, and then walks away. The reveal of the son... I feel like took forever. And I think that they, you know, they were doing it little by little throughout the movie. In fact, I, I think it wasn't until the very near the end when they actually revealed what happened. I think they could have revealed that a little earlier or in a different way. I felt that that was weird. And definitely having the wife involved. Again, it was just that hook to, okay, we're going to, you know, this is the reason why he's holding on. I thought it was a little extra too. Then we skip ahead to Ben's first day as a caregiver. During this speech here, Mom gives him the rundown. It turns out he has DHD, Duchenne muscular dystrophy, uh, which I think is really funny. She tells him, when you get home, Google it, <laughs> which is pretty fun. You know, when you get home, just Google it. Like, I don't have time to explain it to you. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's not really how training a caregiver works. I've definitely had my share of them, and never would I have told them, oh, go home and Google my condition. I think it's there just to explain that the mom is in a hurry. She's trying to get to her job at the bank. Yeah, it's just funny because, you know, in real world, yeah, that's not going to happen. Please, here, take care of my son. I know you know nothing, but take care of him. Yeah, like, I get it. One thing that I think in here is kind of never paid off in this scene is mom says if Trevor's routine is broken that he'll have a panic attack. And they never go back to that again. I feel like there's a scene missing somewhere that they cut out maybe because they have this end to where if Trevor's routine is disturbed at all, he has a panic attack. And then we never talk about it. That's true. Now that you mention that, that yeah, I don't remember another scene 
where the routine in the house causes a panic at all. Yeah. Well, he never has a panic attack throughout the real movie. No, but we see a little bit. We see like a glimpse of it whenever he's in the car. Personally, I can tell through someone's facial features that they're kind of like having anxiety. And, you know, I think that's what that scene was for when the mom is trying to just get him to leave. You know, she can definitely pick up on him his emotions more than, say, a caregiver could. And so that's when she started, you know, talking about maybe not going on the road trip because she could tell he was kind of uncomfortable with it. We learn also in the scene that Trevor statistically has about seven to ten years to live. Mom says, so let's do it right. And then as they're watching TV, we learn about Trevor's Make-A-Wish dream, which I thought was pretty great. You know, what song do you want her to sing? It was. And then you get this long pause. Fireworks. <laughs> well, it's great because he thinks that just asking for that is going to throw, again, everything he was trying to do, he's trying to throw Paul Rudd off. He's trying to just have his attitude and give him the stuff. But when he says that Make-A-Wish wish... And Paul Rudd comes back with the, well, what song do you want her to sing? I mean, it's just, again, you know, they're going head to head, battling their at wit. It's just great to start to see that dynamic continue to grow between them. And this is also the scene where we learned about Trevor's dream to see the world's deepest pit. Because uh, I think he has a map of it, is my recollection. So then we move on to kind of like a montage scene of Ben learning the routine. So we see the meds and the waffles. We see Trevor getting his legs massaged. And of course, Trevor freaks out on him to mess with him. And then we get the first scene, which is one that I don't like, which is Trevor and his faking choking. He does this a few times in the movie, and I really don't like it. Like, I can put up with him messing with Paul Rudd in other ways. But that one does really bug me. Yeah, I think it, like, I personally felt it goes super far, like, especially later on in the car, right? To me, it was like, well, does he need to push that boundary so far? You know, of course, later on, Paul Rudd gets him back, but I feel the same way, where it was like, yeah, that's a little, it's a little much. But why did you feel that, Jacob? Like, why was it something that felt uncomfortable for you? Well, because I felt, one, if I was to do that, it would not be okay. So, like, I feel like in real life that wouldn't really fly. Because then, what if he was to actually be choking? I think it's one of the boy that cried wolf thing, that I would worry that then he would start choking and nobody would help him. You know, I think that's why they did that. The first time, he falls for it. And then the second time in the car, he had to, like, push it beyond limit because it wouldn't have been believable. And I do believe that there is some handicapped people that probably do do that to their caregivers. I know I've seen some of them. And so, I, I don't know, I'm on the fence about that scene. I'm fine with most of the rest. Like, I really like the scene where Trevor is at the park and pretending his wheelchair is broken. And he's yelling, help me, ah, you know, ah, you know, and he's going from side to side and spinning. Now, that's funny, and I'm fine with that. You know, a lot of that stuff I'm okay with, but the choking's a bit much for me. This is what I was just trying to get at. That's probably one of my biggest problems with the movie. This is also the scene where we learn uh, where Ben asks Trevor, if you woke up and you were totally fine, what would you most like to do? And Trevor says, take a piss standing up, <laughs> which we get paid off throughout the movie. 
in multiple scenes. And then this is also the scene where we learn that Ben is a writer. Then we move on to Ben driving home, and we learn that he's his wife's continually trying to serve him divorce papers, and he's trying to hide. Which, once again, I think is kind of... I don't think we really get in his character why he's doing that, other than he's still traumatic of his son and just isn't ready, is what he says. I don't know if we really get... And to me, that is the most unbelievable scene. Because let's be honest, eventually he went back to the apartment, and so those papers would have been handed to him. You see him in his apartment later. So those papers would have eventually had to be handed to him. And even with his wanting to stay with his wife, it's not about his wife. So why would they even push that? His fear seems to be literally signing those papers. That seems to be his actual fear. Yeah. Not the consequences of the papers, not what it means. At least that's what I get from it. And, yeah, exactly. I think the papers were supposed to be a symbol for, you know, letting go of the past. And obviously that son is hers, too. Letting go of her might be letting go of the son in his brain. I agree. I agree. I think that. I get that, although I would argue that they're already drifted pretty far apart, it seems like. You know, like I get that, and that's probably what they are trying to get at. But I would say that it seems like they've already drifted pretty far apart, I don't, other than just the symbolism of it. I don't think it has to be due to drifting apart. Once he signs that paper, it's official. They are done. That part of his life has gone, but the memories are still there. And for him, it's like signing away his son almost. And maybe even him admitting the guilt of what he went through. Maybe the wife is divorcing him because of what happened, right? So he feels this heavy guilt. Him signing the papers and saying, okay, yeah, I'm letting go of it all. He is really releasing himself to a lot of that baggage of guilt, not only from what happened to his son, but also because the wife blames him for that sort of thing. Which is all levels that they didn't really explain. Let's just cheat and skip ahead real quick. They show the death of his son near the end of the movie. One thing thematically that I liked is that his son's death is actually his fault. I kind of hate it when a lot of movies have a character blame themselves for a death, and it's actually not their fault. There's nothing they could have done. But it is actually his fault, and I think that that really adds to his character, that he is really feeling this baggage. Yeah, I agree. Definitely, the way he was acting was definitely worthy of what happened. Because I feel like a lot of movies that try to do something similar, it turns out the death is just somebody getting struck by lightning. And they feel bad because they weren't there. Like, that would have changed a whole lot. This was actually Ben's fault. At least that's what I get from it. I think that could be viewed several different ways. Because while it's his fault, you love the keys in the car, any kid could climb up in a car. I think it was a freak accident. My family has done it before, where they leave the keys in the ignition, and, you know, a kid will get curious and climb up in it. But I think his blame was a little more than... It was justified, but I think it was still an accident. Maybe that's why the wife could move on past it before he could. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think so, too. Well, I wasn't trying to imply there that he's at fault in the sense of he should go to jail or something. Of course not. It was an accident in the sense. I don't think he planned that, you know, but he did have some liability there. 
and it's really sad. And I do agree that that's probably why his wife was able to move on. Yeah, because maybe he's sitting there saying, blaming himself like it was his fault. And his wife is like, hey, it's just an accident. Let's move on. Right? Yeah. So Ben arrives back at Trevor's house. This is where we get one of my favorite lines in the movie. Trevor is watching a girl on local TV. She's talking about a local attraction or something. And Trevor says, if I had one night with her, her she wouldn't be able to walk properly. And Ben quips back, oh, because you would give her muscular dystrophy. I think that's a really great line in the movie. It rings really true to me because a lot of my friends, we dig each other back and forth like that. So I think that's one of my favorite lines probably in the movie. Yeah, it was definitely funny. I, I feel the same way. Like you're saying, when you're joking around with people that you know, like some of my best friends that have disabilities, like we dig each other in certain ways. And I think that that showed that extra layer of where you can just have fun with it and get super personal and nobody's getting offended sort of thing. Yeah, I think that's the first scene we realized that a friendship is building there. Strangers won't take those kind of jabs at each other quite as quickly as friends will. Because, I mean, me and my friends, we go way too far sometimes. And sometimes it's out in public. We get some very dirty looks because we do make those kind of comments. And strangers just don't understand. Well, as Ben enters the house, we know that he's been dodging his divorce papers. And I get the impression that this is why he wants to go on the road trip with Trevor. So this is kind of him, you know, in this scene, he's kind of pushing Trevor to do it. Also, Trevor receives a letter and Trevor just goes and puts it away with another stack. And Trevor says that it's a letter from his father. And then we learn that Trevor says that he left me when I was three, when I was diagnosed, or maybe it's just a coincidence. Which I thought, for his character, really works for me, because he has this really sad moment there, but he says, or it's maybe just a coincidence. I think that him making light of that really works for that character. I really like that. Then we move on to Trevor's house at the next day. Ben still dodging the divorce papers. We learn Mom is wanting to go to a conference in Atlanta for a week. This is where we learn that Mom knows about Ben's son, and she's told Trevor, which was kind of odd. I don't know if I necessarily like that. It was kind of weird that she just jumps into that so quickly. I felt you would keep that to yourself. I don't think she would just jump out and tell him. That's kind of creepy. Like, how does she even know that? Yeah, I agree. It's kind of creepy. <laughs> uh, this is where Mom says that she doesn't want him getting too close to Trevor. Ben suggests actually going to see the lame roadside attractions, including the World's Deepest Pit. Off-camera, at some point, talks to his mother about wanting to go see these roadside attractions with Ben. Because when Ben shows up, they're talking about going on the road trip. They kind of just skip some steps there, but I'm fine with it. It gets to the point quicker, I guess. Basically, they debate back and forth, and finally, they decide they're going to go. Then they start packing for the road trip. One thing I wanted to point out, as they're packing for the road trip, you notice the van that they're driving. It's actually a specific wheelchair-accessible van. It's called the Mobility Adventures NV1. It's actually built from the ground up to be a wheelchair-accessible van, which I thought was a really nice touch. I don't think a lot of movies would bother doing that, but they have a specific van, which I thought was cool. So the trip begins. We get an awkward bathroom break. First of our many awkward bathroom breaks. This is where we get another one of my favorites, where Ben says, you want to take a bite of the James? Trying to get into a bite of Slim Jim. Oh, God, that was funny, yeah. I thought that was pretty funny. Bite of the James, shall we? And this is where we meet Selena Gomez's character. 
I really like this part because I feel like it was really true to life, at least for me. If <laughs> whenever uh, she comments him and says, uh, well, she compliments him and says her first words to him are that she likes his sneakers. And where did you get them? And he looks up at her and says, mall and keeps going. <laughs> That's all he can get out to her mall. Because yeah, <laughs> he's still pretty young. He's pretty awkward. It's great. And then Ben gives him a hard time about it for the next three or four scenes. <laughs> you know, smooth move there. Oh, that's how you know they're friends, though. Because if a friend can't pick on you because you're awkward around girls, then pretty much no one can. I thought that was really good, too, that that was her initial thing. Because that really sets up that she is not looking at him for the disability. Because she could have questioned anything else. You know, I've experienced that in the past where you know, I met girls and the first thing they said was, oh, like, what's wrong with your foot? What's wrong with your legs? It was some question like that. And her question was, oh, or she just says nice sneakers. Like, she's just noticing something that has nothing to do with it. And later on, we see that her character, like, it's she's oblivious to it and she's not thinking about that. And I think that sends a powerful message and it's a powerful statement. And then Ben gives him a hard time. Now, how about you just shorten it to that one syllable? Ma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. So we get back in the van, and this is where we know that Trevor had a crush on Selena Gomez's character. We get this right away. We don't even wait. And then we go back to the fake choking bit. This is where we get you know him going really far with it, and Ben pulls over. I think I'm on record. I still don't like it, but we can move on. And then we arrive at the world's biggest bovine. It's not handicap accessible. And this was great. I, I, I really enjoyed this. To where Trepper actually starts with, you know, you can go up and look at it without me. And then Ben, this is where I think we get a neat moment where he actually doesn't know a lot about being a caregiver still. So he says, you're in violation of codes. You know, he doesn't know about ADA yet. You know, he just says, you're in violation of codes. <laughs> they end up carrying Trevor's wheelchair up the stairs. And it's really funny. You get, like, just a split second of them trying to carry his wheelchair up and down. It's so funny because they're just shouting at each other. Go! <laughs> and then once they get up there, it's hilarious because they're just staring at the cow. And there's nothing special about it. And then it's like, okay, let's go. Now back down the stairs. And they show him again, carrying him back down. And, like, getting up and down was more of a hassle than what it was worth almost, you know? This happens to me all the time. We'll try to go somewhere as a family or with friends, and then all of a sudden, oh, we can't go there because it's not handicap accessible. And it's very true. Anything built before, I think it's 1980 or 91, doesn't have to be handicap accessible. They're allowed not to make the upgrade. It's a very true thing that happens a lot to handicapped people. Do you feel his reaction was appropriate where he was like, well, just go up and see it without me? Is that a clear depiction of that? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's that's definitely me. I've done it thousands of times, I know. And my friends will be like, you know, no, I'm not going to go do it without you. But I don't want to hold my friends back. I do believe in that moment. It really was a authentic reaction. So now we get back in the van after they've seen the world's biggest cow. <laughs> and uh, I thought this was kind of out of the blue. Trevor just says, I want to go see my father. And it turns out that he works at a car dealership at Salt Lake City. Ben kind of uneasily agrees. 
Next, we get the restaurant stop at Idaho Bows. Sitting there eating their lunch. Uh, they see Selena Gomez's character out the window. Ben suggests to Trevor that they give her a ride, and Trevor kind of goes out there to ask her and turns around to get scared. I thought that was pretty great. He gets so close and then turns around like the last second. How did she not hear him come up behind her, though? Oh, yeah, you would totally notice that. That would be really weird if somebody went up to you and then just turned around. You would definitely notice that. Right, because we both know how loud power wheelchairs are. Okay, she would have totally heard him. So then Ben goes out there to ask her if she wants to come in and eat. And Selena Gomez's character says, are you a pervert? <laughs> oh, I love you know, that. Yeah, that was hilarious. That's just yeah. what perverts would say. She walks inside. We learn that her character's name is Dot. So that's all we really give. I don't think we ever get a last name for her. We get the really good line, you two perverts have room for one more. And then we hit the road. So Dot is going to Denver. We learn her mother has died. The check engine light comes on. They stop at a hotel after some hemming and hawing, I guess, which I, I thought was really funny. Trevor wants to stop, but he wants to look tough for Dot. <laughs> and Paul Rudd says it's fine, and, and I really love all that's going on there. That was a great scene. At the hotel, Trevor and Dot get acquainted. Ben notices that there's a car following them and thinks that maybe it's his wife with the divorce papers or someone with his wife's divorce papers. This is a scene I really like, too. The next morning, we get Trevor getting ready for the day, listening to Leonard Cohen's I'm Your Man as that plays in the background. I thought that was really awesome. <laughs> but I just really like that song. I thought that was a nice touch. Turns out the van is fine. Dot and Trevor share a Slim Jim. They see a car broke down on the side of the road. It turns out that it's Peaches, which is a character that we barely get to know, other than that she's heading to Nebraska and her unborn child's name is Elton. She skipped through pretty quickly. She's barely there, it seems like. Trevor, trying to impress Dot, says they'll take her to Nebraska. Then they get to the hotel that night. Trevor tells Ben to stay in the hotel room because he wants to go have dinner with Dot. They have a really awkward high five, which is great. And then they go on their date. This is also the scene where we get Ben's prank that he doesn't have the medicine and the CPAP machine, which I thought was... The more I think about it, I actually kind of like it. It's not like faking choking. Trevor was fine in that moment. He wasn't going to kill over in that second. I thought it was kind of fun that Ben's trying to get him back. Yeah, I thought it was the perfect payback because those jokes... His choking joke is a life or death joke. When Paul Rudd's character is getting him back, it's a life or death joke. It was of equal caliber to his initial joke of choking. He also obviously planned it really well because his medicine was in the chair when he sits down. <laughs> he pulls it out right there. I thought that was like really well planned that he obviously thought about it hard enough. It was definitely not a spur of the moment thing. Yeah. Peaches joins Ben and they feel the baby kick. Whatever. The date seems to go well. And then Trevor says, not tonight to his CPAP machine. I don't really understand why, but okay. I guess he's supposed to feel empowered, but I don't know. We don't really get why he uses the CPAP machine. I would assume sleep apnea. Yeah, that made no sense to me at all. Like, you either have sleep apnea or you don't. That scene annoyed me actually the most, because I also wanted more in-depth about the date, and we didn't get that. The only thing we see about the date was we see it through the window, and we see that they had a good time. That's really all we get. And I'm like, but why? I want more information there. 
to me, it just seems like kind of a writing trick so they didn't have to write the date. So that way they can just show it and they don't have to bother writing dialogue. Is what it seemed like to me. I would rather more information about the date and less information about the divorce. You just want the juicy details of what happened, Destiny, that's all. And you just want the love story. Exactly! <laughs> Screw the dead kid. <laughs> Y'all can't blame me for wanting a love story. So this is where then you show up at the car dealership in Utah to see Trevor's dad. Once again, it seems kind of out of the blue. We learned that Trevor's dad's name is Bob Richardson, and he is played by Frederick Weller. Peaches is played by Megan Ferguson, by the way. I forgot to mention that. We show up at the car dealership. They go back to see Dad. Turns out Dad's not super nice. He offers to give Trevor money, as if that makes up for anything. Turns out that those letters that Trevor had been receiving, his mom had just been writing them. They have an argument in the parking lot that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. I can kind of understand why the mom does it. She doesn't want her child to feel like them separating is his fault. If she writes the letters, he's still, in his mind, in contact. Okay, so when Trevor finds out that his pops isn't writing those letters, even though he didn't ever read them, he still had that little bit of hope that dad cared, right? So when he finally finds out, like, that's his breaking point. That's why Trevor gets so pissed off, and he's so angry. And when he's yelling at Ben... It has nothing to do with Ben. He's just pissed that his, he's finally realized that his dad doesn't care. So the argument does have significance because then he's yelling at Ben, and then he tells Ben, look, I'm not your son. And then Ben's like, look, I didn't even know you were a kid when I came for the job. And that's when he realizes, he's like, oh, wait a minute. Because he had this whole other understanding about Ben. Like, oh, you're just here because I'm a kid and your kid died. So you're trying to make up for it. But then at that moment, you see it. You see it in his face, too. And he's like, oh, shit. Like, I made a mistake here. He's really caring for me. It's not because he's trying to make up for something. So I felt a lot of significance in that argument they had. Yeah, I think you've actually convinced me there. Never mind. I said it didn't make much sense. I, the reason I said it didn't make much sense to me is I'm a little too logical. Like, I think, like, why is he yelling at Ben? It's kind of not really Ben's fault. Yeah, it, it's not It's not a logical argument. It's more of an emotional argument. Because he's just taken out. He's taken it out on him. The crushing emotional impact of his pops really not caring. The character's supposed to be... A teenager, and in reality, teenagers don't really think whenever they're upset. Kind of just happens to whoever's near. I do really like the small touch that Trevor's dad does offer to give him money. He's trying to buy his love in a way, as separated parents do. I thought that was a nice touch. That he's trying to buy his son's love when he can't. How funny. He's like, oh, I think I have like 160 bucks here, or something like that. Like what? Like what is that gonna do? Because 160 <laughs> bucks makes up for like you know seven yeah. years of missing time. I just don't understand that he was a terrible human. They really play him up as being bad. I was I was waiting for Trevor to say something like at least give me 500, you know, some sort of joke or something. But he was just so crushed he couldn't even get a joke out there. And then at the end of this scene, at the end of the argument, Trevor says he wants to go home. And then in the car, Dot says, no, I came for the world's deepest pit. We're going to the world's deepest pit. Trevor's still trying to be in Dot's good graces, says, okay. We get a stereotypical uh, slow music car ride to Take Me As I Am by Au Revoir, Simone. 
So we arrive at the world's deepest CGI pit. They go and look at the pit, and then they're going to go down to the bottom of the pit. Ben notices that the car that's been following them pulls in. So he goes to confront the car. It turns out to be Dot's father. I thought he was just an extra, just an extra character to, you know, have a reason for her to leave at the end. Yeah, I didn't really understand that whole point. I think they did a good job of playing him up as not a jerk, because it would be really easy to play him as a really awful human being. But they do a good job of making him seem like he does actually care about Dot, and he's been following at a distance to make sure that she's safe. Yeah. Then we get a phone call from Dot to Ben's phone with a really bad phone connection, and she says, like, help multiple times, and it takes Ben way too long to understand what she said. Like, I got it the first time, but it takes him, like, three times as long. (laughs) By the end of the movie, I was just nitpicking, I think. (laughs) Yeah, because look, would they even have reception down at that pit? You know, like, how did she even get on a call? He runs down to the bottom of the pit to see Peaches, and right on cue, Peaches is giving birth to her son. Ben has flashbacks of his son, and then it takes Ben way too long to say, someone call 911. You think that would have been the first thing somebody would have done? Like, they have to wait for him to walk down there to call 911? Well, I heard him say that he that someone had already called 911. I know he says somebody called 911. Maybe I missed that background sound there. Yeah, they did, but in the background of all the people, someone shouted out, already did. So I take it as they already called 911. Okay, well, that's good at least, because that'd be bad if they had to wait for Paul Rudd to shout, call 911. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's pretty irresponsible. He's the only logical one down there. Yeah. <laughs> so he's the only one that can have you call 911, really. I, I did want to say that I did like the reveal, how they had the crowd. And then because you think it's Trevor, you think something has happened with him. But they had that reveal and it's the baby, you know, and it's the girl with the baby. So I thought that was a really kind of cool reveal to that. Then we get the baby's birth because, of course, babies have to be born outside in movies. And it's intercut with the death of Ben's son. See, this is where we finally see what happened to Ben's son. We see that the car backs over him, unfortunately, as we assume, because he didn't put the car in park. Uh, Peaches gives birth to a healthy six-month-old baby because that's the way (laughs) movies work. (laughs) Yeah, the baby was walking, actually, right? All babies are born six months old in movies. <laughs> if you really notice, all babies are six months old. <laughs> and they're really clean. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, that would be a whole lot messier. <laughs> An ambulance takes Peaches away. Trevor passes around Slim Jims to everyone, which is great. I love that. Oh, that was great. <laughs> Goes around passing out Slim Jims. We get back up to the top of the world's deepest pit, and Dot's dad standing outside the car. Dot talks to her dad. We learn that her dad's name is Cash. Dot says that she's going to go and take the rest of the way with her dad. Trevor very awkwardly says, cool, as you would do. Dot says, you have my number, and you're going to text me. Dot says, you know what you are. You're handsome and cool. Trevor says, don't make fun of me. Dot says, I'm not. And then we get Destiny's favorite part, where they kiss. That's true. (laughs) They share a Slim Jim, which is sweet. Dot drives away, looking out the car. And then we get the moment where they strap Trevor to the gurney and hold him up over the pit so he can relieve himself. Because that's apparently been a thing throughout the movie. That was the worst CG shot. That whole sweeping shot. Oh, it's so bad. It is so bad. That one was, yeah. That one I couldn't believe. Why did they bother? That's so bad. 
I understand they wanted it to be grand. You know, it was a grand sweeping shot because of what was happening, but they could have, yeah. I, I guess they did the best they could. Well, this is obviously a fairly low-budget film. You know, this isn't a Marvel movie by any stretch. We get the scene where they arrive back at the house, and Mom gives Trevor a hug, and then Ben gives his wife the divorce paper because he's ready now for reasons. And then Ben starts to write about Trevor. We learn that he's resigned as Trevor's caregiver to be a friend. Ben talks about Trevor faking to be dead, and his new caregiver quits. And then roll credits. Oh, I love that. That's actually my favorite part of that story, yeah. <laughs> is the fact that the new caregiver comes in, and she can't handle it, so she jumps <laughs> and quits. And just the way that that last scene happens where he's writing it, and you're thinking, oh my god, like, this was it. He really did pass away. And then, you know, he delivers that line that he was faking it. I mean, that's just a perfect way to end it. I love that. I really like this movie. It has, you know, this really nice dark humor to it that I find really true to life. I have problems with it, but I really like it. Anything else that I missed that either of you want to talk about? We kind of skipped over the birth scene, and I just wanted to say that that really was the breaking point for Ben, where this movie is about life or death. At the core of it, the jokes are life and death. Ben's dealing with the, the death of his son. When the baby's coming... And, and Peaches is like, no, there's a problem, there's a problem. And Ben's thinking, and he's having this flashback, and he's thinking, I can't lose another life. There's a lot of subtle nuance in that. And then when he delivers the baby, that's the release for him of like, okay, I've brought life into this world now. I can release the death of my son. That's what I got from that, and I felt that that was very powerful. I've watched tons of movies with different disabilities in it. Trying to find one that kind of clicks for me because I've watched Unbreakable, Me Before You, and all these other movies, and none of them I clicked with as a character until Trevor. This is more closer to what having a disability is like. Other than the start, I have real issues with it because no one says at home and just eats waffles. Um, but you know, aside from that. I believe, you know, as a caregiver, it is a good movie to get a real idea of what it's like. It's not rainbows and unicorns. There really is people that need help wiping their butt. And this is real life. And so in that way, I connected. What do you both think of the title of the movie? Because I kind of dislike the title, and then it's kind of long, and I have a hard time recommending it to people. You know, when I say, oh, you should watch The Fundamentals of Caring, and they say, what? I think it's appropriate because it goes way beyond The Fundamentals of Caring. The movie really pushes the boundaries of the characters, of what it means to care for somebody, and as a viewer, it did the same for me. So the title drags you in of like, oh, The Fundamentals. So you think you're just going to learn Fundamentals, but you learn a lot more than that. I, I think it's okay. Yeah, it's long. I think they just did that because of the book. And the book title was even longer, right? Yeah, I definitely like it than the book title, which is the revised fundamentals of caregiving. That's way too much. And very specific. They say caregiving, not caring, right? Well, thank you so much for being here. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much, Tony. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Destiny. Thank you very much. You're welcome. It was fun. Until next time, keep on rolling. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Ability. And thanks to Destiny and Tony for taking the plunge with me and being on this episode. You can find information and links about this episode at abilitypodcast.com forward slash caring movie. 
Once again, until next time, keep on rolling.